Hey, Teresa, I bet an episode on casino etiquette would be pretty good. I'd say that's a pretty safe bet. It's Schmanners! Internet. I am your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you are listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Oh, Boise, I am excited. I am I'm all a Twitter. I'm all a buzz to talk about this episode. I've been researching gambling all morning. <laughs> I am a big fan, a big fan of casinos, big fan of gambling. Uh, perhaps sometimes too big a fan, some might say. Perhaps. Uh, the gambling, the all oh, those bright lights. Oh, bright lights sitting on a semi-soul on fire. Uh, now, I, I don't want any of our listeners to conf- be confused. Travis, you do not have a gambling problem. I do not. I have um, just in general impulse control issues. <laughs> That's my general ADD issues. Um, it has nothing to do with gambling specifically. Um, but you do enjoy the atmosphere oh, yes. that surrounds gambling. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I don't fake, even if it's just like fake, you know, like uh, I remember my college dorm, like the whole like dorm did like a, you know, fake casino night with like fake money and everything. And like that's the same to me because I just like. I like the math and statistics and all of the, like, excitement. It's the thrill of the game. Yeah, it's the closest you get to, like, super nerdy sport. You know what I mean? Like, you combine, like, baseball and Dungeons and Dragons and you get, like, gambling. Would you consider yourself, quote, lucky? No, not at (laughs) all. Um, I would say that overall, I'm probably statistically down uh, uh, $500 across like all trips to a casino over all of time. I don't think I'm, I'm up collectively. Now I would like to say my father growing up was one of the most lucky people oh, yeah, I, I had ever known. Um, he never played the lottery or did anything like that, but every year we had a church bazaar where you could buy tickets and put your tickets in like little raffle baskets. And the man won something substantial every year. He won a car at one point. He won like a lawnmower. He almost always won a fully decorated Christmas tree. Like, Wait, it came fully decorated? Mm-hmm, yeah. That seems weird. Well, but I mean, that's part of the value of the trees, all the ornaments. I mean, I guess, but isn't the whole purpose like that you decorate it yourself? I, anyways, I get he, what you're saying. He tended tended to win so often that my mother said, "You can't. You just don't do this anymore. You can't. We don't need these things, and we. I. It, it's not practical. Stop it." I would say <laughs> that in it. general, I'm a little too um, a little too risky. I like doing. You know, and on purpose, like, I'll do things that are like, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Mostly if I start to get down um, mm-hmm. in, in my chip count, where it's just like, I'm going to play a little bit looser to try to, like, make back that money very quickly. I've been to casinos before where I have seen people and talked to people who, like, they go in, you know, when the casino opens, or, you know, they go in at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, and then they play for, like, 10 or 12 hours, and they just, you know, the their goal is to, over time... 
win money and not like I sat down at the table and twenty minutes later I was up five thousand dollars. Well, like, those they're type trying of people to incre- is, incrementally. Yeah, those type of people are what you call like a professional gambler. Yeah. That's how they make the bulk of their money. Yeah. Um. And so on this episode, we're going to talk about specifically casino gambling. And mm-hmm. in the future, um, we'll do you know uh, we'll do an episode on like home gambling and and like horse racing and like you know going to the track and that kind of thing. You know your uh, your Belmont, your Preakness. <laughs> um, but today specifically, let's focus on casinos. And in the first half, we're going to talk about etiquette. And then in the second half, I'm going to kind of break down both like etiquette and how to of Baccarat, um, Blackjack and craps. Great. So let's get started. The first casinos that we would recognize today as like a casino Mm -hmm. instead of just a tavern where gambling was happened probably happened in uh, 1638 in Italy around then. I I can't decide if that seems right or way later than I would have guessed. Well, and I think that it sounds way later just because... Like almost everything awesome, the ancient Chinese were gambling from like forever. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing is there's a difference between like the games existing versus, you know what, I'm going to build a building and have multiple tables of these set up and have like an organized thing rather than just, as you said, like a bar or a tavern with a table to play cards or pie gow on or that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. So what I'm what I would consider a casino in 1638 is like a controlled gambling environment. Gotcha. Right. So even even if there's like a carnival atmosphere going on around a street where maybe there's gambling on the street or gambling in in taverns or things like that. In Italy at this time is where we begin to see the very first structural gaming facilities got it where the focus was gaming right got it. and from there on it spread across europe during the 19th century um and you know continuing into the u.s with the mississippi river boats oh yeah and you could see a lot of it on deadwood a lot of that gambling stuff on deadwood um yeah there's like a whole thing about it in um tombstone and like if there's like a a a wild west movie that's really good it probably has some scenes of some gambling in it right and then the way that we think about casinos today pretty much across the world is we think about las vegas the strip which which arrived out of depression era united states the kind of the pulling up by the bootstraps trying to get some money back into the system well and also i think that they had a really strong kind of pre pr a really strong pr presence you know with like the rat pack and elvis and these like big names that really drew attention through their movies and through just like their lifestyle to the glitz and glamour of you know that strip Mm mm-hmm um, so then you mentioned Baccarat and Blackjack, and although those games probably originated closer to the 1400s and the 1500s, um, we begin adding things in the seven, in like 1796 where, uh, the roulette wheel is introduced in Paris 
And then poker really starts to boom and blossom in the 1820s. Oh, yeah. That was the huge Old West thing, because you could do it all day. So it Absolutely. Was, drew a lot of uh, uh, drinking business, because people would just sit and play poker for hours and just drink and drink and drink. So let's, we're going to, um, I'm going to talk about Vegas specifically in a few minutes. But first, I'd like to talk about Monte Carlo. Well, something's just occurred to me. I, I think we should make something clear here. Gambling, we touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the episode. Gambling is a serious problem. And there are people who suffer from gambling addictions. There are families who have been torn apart by um, gambling and losses. And so we are in no way advocating the, you know, fancy schmancy you know, glitz of the gambling lifestyle. It can be very detrimental and destroy people's lives. In general, this is like our general etiquette guide, not necessarily us endorsing gambling as a super fun lifestyle. Correct. Correct. Just wanted to make that clear. Now, on with the history and etiquette. Great. (laughs) So, um, I mentioned Monte Carlo because there are really three sort of areas of gambling that when you think about casinos, pop straight into your head. Monte Carlo, Las Vegas, like I mentioned, and then Atlantic City. Yes. Um, So if we're going to go in chronological order, Monte Carlo was established first. um, And it was it, it started becoming a gambling destination in 1856. Um, and that first casino opened there near the harbor in 1856 when it was made legal. Um, when I think of Monte Carlo, the two movies, like pop culture examples that quickly come to mind are one, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, mm-hmm. and two, probably most predominantly, is James Bond. Right. You know, like that's what I always think of in James Bond, those like, you know, Etruscan, you know, columns and fancy entryways as he walks into a smoky you know, dimly lit Baccarat room, sits down, orders a martini, and leans into the light, and it's all very dramatic and sexy. Yes. <laughs> it's very, like, I picture very tuxedo, you know, evening wear kind of dress code um, as uh, that, like, I really only think of when I think of, like, Monte Carlo. I don't think of that when I think of, like, Vegas and, and yeah. Atlantic City. Well, so... Oh, I'd, uh, I'd like to go back to my earlier statement. This this beautiful um, casino that you're picturing with, like, you know, the, the spotlights and the, the plushness of the Monte Carlo Casino, that famous Monte Carlo Casino that everyone thinks of now, actually, the doors opened in 1863. So okay. although the first casino in Monte Carlo near the harbor down there on the, on the water probably opened in 1856... The one that we all think of was yeah. closer to 1863. Gotcha. Great. Um, and the reason that they started gambling in Monte Carlo was because at the end of, uh, at the fall of Napoleon. Uh, when he tripped and fell over. <laughs> That's a stupid joke. Thank you for laughing at that. That was very dumb. Monaco was annexed to France, uh-huh. right, during the French Revolution. Um, and they wanted their independence, but France wasn't willing to, like, give it just to them. So there was a land treaty made up where Monaco basically lost half of their lands to France. Um, and so they had to look for a way to make revenue because they had lost all of this land gotcha. to France. Um, that is uh, what partly inspired their their get foray into gambling and the construction of that famous Monte Carlo casino. 
Great. They wanted to draw in opulence, get people to spend their money, make up some money. That That's makes it. complete sense. That's it. So on to Vegas. Um, the a very strange thing about the the founding of the Las Vegas Strip mm-hmm. is just like alcohol for a while gambling was also illegal in the United States um and so even though gambling took place a lot in uh Las Vegas they actually had to build the strip outside of the city of Las Vegas once that whole prohibition on drinking and gambling was repealed because they still couldn't do it within the city limits interesting so that's why everything's kind of lined up right there. They just put it all just right next outside. to the desert. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, and probably the first resort uh, in the way of like hotel rooms and big gambling floor and beautiful ballroom and things like that was the El Rancho Vegas that opened in 1941. Um, and then, like I said, it was just outside the city. And after that, everything started to kind of blow up around this El Rancho, right? And that's where the strip comes from um, because you would kind of just go straight outside the city and then, like you said, all lined up there, all out there. And a lot of them had, like, the Old West themes. Yeah. Um, It's what I think. I always think of uh, Fallout New Vegas. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about that in that game. There's, like, a whole section before you even get to the strip because mm-hmm. that's kind of how the whole city is set up of it's like here's the city and then an offshoot of that is the strip as opposed to if you think of like Times Square being in the center of everything you know what i mean like the strip the part that's like the most busy is like sticking off of the city right um so like i said all of them had the kind of old west themes deadwood you talked about oh, that yeah? kind of stuff until 1946 when bugsy siegel opened up the Flamingo. Ooh. Right. And this was the start of the lounge and the topless dancers. And, and like rat packy kind of feel, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So during the 50s and the 60s, um, when they were building casinos like the Sahara, the Sands, the New Frontier, the Riviera, um, all of this money was trickled down and attracted performers like the Rat Pack, Sinatra and Dean Martin and El Elvis Presley. And, you know, it was this image that we think of of this huge casino floor with slot machines and mm-hmm. tables and, like I said, lounge singers and topless dancers. Yeah. Kind of. It's interesting because I think it's something that people romanticize a lot because they think of it as like, yeah, it was chintzy and a little bit seedy, but it was also like, uh, you know, romantic and exciting. And it's like, yeah, but if you think about it, it was probably also rampantly sexist and racist and, you know, like crime riddled and terrible. But like, I think that especially when you watch movies like the new Ocean's Eleven that was a remake of the, you know, Sinatra Ocean's Eleven, Mm -hmm. where people go back to kind of glamorizing like that, that seedy underbelly of Vegas a little bit. Well, and a lot of these casinos were funded, if not owned, by mobsters. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't think that surprises anyone. <laughs> what? 
organized crime in Las Vegas in the 60s? Hold on. Let me call the president. (laughs) So the third reincarnation of Vegas as we know it probably started in 1989 when they bulldozed a lot of the old casino houses and started building the mega resorts. Mm -hmm. So like in the new Ocean's Eleven, that beautiful big resort that they heist. Uh, I think that's the verb. Yeah. Heist? Yeah. Yeah. That they housed Um, really started to take shape in, in uh, around 1980. Gotcha. So what about Atlantic City? Atlantic City um, was started around 1978 when gambling was made legal within those city limits. And, it's, and um, it has fluctuating between 16 to 20 casinos at any time. Now, there's a lot of gambling before that of like, but not organized, right. you know, because like boardwalk empire and that kind of stuff that's atlantic city right i i believe so yes the boardwalk is is part of that whole thing so as far as some of the top casinos that are there there's the atlantic city hilton which um opened in 1980 and it started out as like a luxury casino hotel um but now it's done it's known for world-class dining and entertainment um and it has a lot of the standard stuff that you'll see at casinos, like blackjack and craps and roulette. Um, but what they are starting to become a lot well, more well-known for are the Asian games that it offers on the second floor. Mm-hmm. Appar- yes. Apparently, that's, that's very big in gambling now. Um, next is the Tropicana, and then the Borgata. Um, the poker room at the Bargata has more than 85 tables, making it the biggest poker room in Atlantic City. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, cool. So let's talk about like some etiquette and manners regarding the casino experience. Okay. Um, we've got some questions, but I also like have some real life, a little bit of experience to go along with this. So let's start with the questions and see where it takes us. Um, and, and some of these questions we'll address specifically when we talk about the games in the second half, but let's see where we can start. Um, oh, this is a pretty broad question. Uh, Alyssa asks, when gambling, I've had the bar send me free drinks, so I'll need to keep gambling. Do I need to tip on those drinks? It is recommended that anytime a drink is brought to your table, you tip a dollar, whether it's water or whether it is, you know, one of those beautiful... I don't know, daiquiri drinks or something. But somebody walked it over to you. You right. didn't give them a dollar. Um, so in general, when you hear about like people getting free stuff at casinos, mm-hmm. the way that that works now versus like the 50s and 60s and what, how it, how, however it used to be is now very organized with loyalty programs. Just like you have your you know, Kroger's card or your CVS card. Most casinos, you sign up for a program when you come in, and then you scan your card or whatever when you sit down to play. And then they track through their computer system how much you bet, how long you sit at a table, all of that stuff. Because all of that stuff is tracked. And that's how you kind of accumulate your your rewards. Mm -hmm. So now it's a much more structured uh, system than it used to be. So, if you are looking to get some of those free rewards, as soon as you get to a casino, the first thing you should do is look into their loyalty program and sign up for it. 
Like, usually it costs little or nothing, and that's how you kind of get your rewards. Um, speaking of, Drew asked, when offered a free room at a casino, what is expected of you? Would it be rude to gamble at another casino nearby? Well, I mean, it sounds like you've already earned that free room. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, to get offered something like a free room, you've either spent enough time at a table or at a game in a casino or lost enough money that they feel like they want you to come away with a positive experience from Mm -hmm. the casino that you've already spent a lot of time at. You're not going to just, like, walk into a casino and get offered a free room for looking like a cool dude, (laughs) you know? So I would say it's not necessarily rude, but at the same time, I'm also willing to bet that if you've got a free room in a casino, you're statistically very likely to just gamble in that casino because all you have to do is go downstairs. Right. So I I don't think it's rude um, to, like, go and visit other casinos while you're there because it's – you know what? They they know who you're coming home to. You're staying (laughs) at that casino. I guess my question has always been who goes to Vegas or goes to Atlanta or goes anywhere – without a, a room to stay at that <laughs> you get there and they're like we'd like you to stay in one of our rooms tonight and you're like oh thank god <laughs> i had not planned ahead i didn't I, know where i was gonna stay tonight i think that if they offer you a free room they'd probably do it before you got there right? yeah it's you well it's usually like you get it the next time i mean that's how these loyalty programs are now set up okay that like basically you earn your points and then you can cash them in the next time you come mm-hmm. to get the room um, but yeah, I think through a loyalty program, you've earned it. Don't worry about it. Um, Brittany asked, I want to learn a casino game I'm not very familiar with, but I don't want to uh, irritate the more experienced people at the table. What is a good way to learn? Well, there are a couple ways, actually. A lot of casinos offer free classes. Yeah. If you get there early enough, the the dealers are there and they're not doing very much. Um, and so they want to teach you how to gamble because they want your money. Even so more convenient, a yeah. lot of them have like, you know, on the hotel channel in your room, if you're staying in the casino, little tutorials that you can watch as you're like watching about the information about the restaurant and the pool and stuff. Right. And in the same vein, if you find that you want to learn a game, um, there are some dealers that are more than happy to teach you as long as the rest of their table is empty. So you would never want to go up to a game in progress and expect a dealer to teach you. Um, but if you go up to a table and you you really jive with that dealer, they're usually more than happy to tell you how to play the game. Also, in this day and age, you have YouTube, you've got Google, you've got a lot of resources at your disposal before making the trip there mm-hmm. um, that you could at least... A lot of the games, I don't think you will get a good feel for unless you actually do it, and that's how you kind of develop your own gameplay style and strategy, but you'll at least get a good set of the basics just by Googling, like, how does roulette work? That kind of thing. Right. Um, So uh, whatever casino you're staying in, talk to the desk staff and see if they offer any classes. That's probably the best way to learn in a no-pressure environment. Um, Kyle asked, what's the polite way to ask for the little towel to cover up my chips when I need to use the restroom while at a table? I feel I, uh, this is one I can speak to a little bit on personal experience. Um, I feel like this is going to vary from casino to casino. I mean, you get a lot of different house rules. Um, a lot of people would say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised for a casino to have a rule that, like, if you get up from the table, you just have to take your chips with you. That is what I've read on the Internet, um, because... 
especially if you're at a high volume table or if you're at um, a large bet table, um, then if you you lose your seat, then you lose your seat. There are probably people waiting. But I imagine there's also I, I like I played at a casino in West Virginia where they would put a marker down in front of your chips if you needed to like go use the restroom or like make a phone call or something. But I also imagine that you know house rules. Depending on how long you're gone, you probably forfeit your seat if you're gone for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. I doubt you forfeit your chips because that would probably be an issue. Right. Um, but you most likely forfeit your seat. But I think in in most of these circumstances, remember that the dealer and the banker, even if you're playing against them in the game, they're a customer service representative for the casino. Mm-hmm. So it's completely within your, you know, you don't feel bad saying like, hey, if I need to run to the restroom... Is it okay to leave my chips here? Do I need to take them with me? Is there some kind of marker I can put down so I don't lose my seat? And they'll answer that question for you. Right. Um, To kind of jump back to the question Brittany had, Carrie asked, is it appropriate to watch table games to get a feel for how to play before I sit down? Not cheating, just clueless. There are a lot of table games that really do encourage people to watch. Um and as long as you're being quiet and respectful, if that's what the atmosphere is about, like if you were watching a poker game, you wouldn't want to talk while people are betting. Um, but if you're watching a craps game, that's more of a kind of like jubilant, uh, you know, explosive atmosphere where you're welcome to cheer if somebody you like makes a good pot. Um, and I also think that uh, you make a great point, Carrie, because one of the things to keep in mind your first time visiting a casino, just about every aspect of the casino is designed and thought through with not only the enjoyment of the guests and players in mind, but also security. Mm-hmm. So if you stand around and especially move from table to table watching you're probably going to draw some attention. Right. Um, because there are people there paid to pay attention to you. That's all it is. Not like you're going to be arrested for walking around and looking at different tables. But you should be prepared that you might draw a couple glances from a pit boss or a security person if it seems like you're scouting for, you know, like card counting, hot table, whatever you want to call it. Um, so just keep that in mind. But I think that standing at a table and watching play is perfectly fine. And I think also a great way to learn and a great way to see other people's strategy, especially if you ask questions or if you're standing there, once again, if it's super busy or they're like right in the middle of the action, don't bother them. (laughs) But like, it's okay to watch. Um, Derek asked, what do I do if you, uh, what do you do if you have used all the money you came to gamble with, but your friend is on a roll and wants to say, is it rude to suggest they quit while they are ahead so you aren't tempted to spend more? Um, we also got a question uh, from Regan, which was, if you are underage or not planning on playing a card game, but whoever you're playing is, can you sit at the table too? Or like, is that weird? Um, well, I I think you should address the first question Great. and I'll address the second question. Um, I would say that if you went with a friend and your luck was bad, your quote unquote luck was bad, and they are on a hot streak, I think that if the situation was reversed, you would want your friend to stand by you and encourage you or go find something else to do rather than say like, hey, man, I'm not having fun anymore. I don't care if you are. Let us go. 
Um, that said, I think that you're not out of line to, if it's going on for a long time, say, like, I'm going to head back to the room, or I'm going to go walk up and down the strip for a while, and I'm going to go see a movie, whatever you want to do. Right. I think it's it's appropriate to tell them one time what you want to do. I'm yeah. going to go sit at the bar. I'm going to go walk around yeah. the strip. Um but to constantly badger them like, hey, just quit while you're ahead, get out, let's go, I'm done. That's that's not fun for any activity. And I think a good a good kind of self-rule, something to do, like, so, one, let's just uh, acknowledge a couple good gambling rules of thumb. Set an amount of money for yourself, as you allude to in the question, that you are comfortable that if you walk out of that casino, minus that amount of money in your life, you will not suffer any ill will. Like, you've saved up. You know, $200, that's your $200, you know, that you're going to take to the casino. Great. After that $200, you are done. Walk away. Don't do it anymore. So if you know that and, like, suddenly $100 is gone in 20 minutes, maybe switch to, like, a slot machine or switch to something that's going to eat up a lot more time compared to the amount of money you have to invest in it because you know, like, oh, my God, everyone I'm with is up, and I'm already down 75% of my entire, you know, budget for the weekend. So maybe find some cheaper or games that take a little bit longer, which we'll talk about in the second half. But, like, if you blow all of your money in 10 minutes, you're you're gone that money, and you need to, like, set that rule for yourself. Okay. So the second question you asked, if you are underage... Most casinos won't even let you in. Uh, well, under wait, 21. Under 21, right. If you are under 21, um, the general rule for a lot of these casinos that I've seen is you need to keep moving through the casino because they know that there are restaurants and, and acts and there's the hotel that's usually accompanied the casino. So underage people are allowed in, in those areas. But if you stop moving to sit at a table or sit at a slot, you may be asked to leave. Yeah, and but to answer the other side of the question, it depends on how busy the table is. Like, I've been to casinos where, you know, it's like, what, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday or whatever, and there were two people at an eight-person blackjack table. Sure, sit down, just don't put any money in front of you, and that's fine. But if you're taking up a seat while there's, like, a line of people waiting to, like, sit down and play the game, you might get yelled at like that's a rude thing to do you know oh, you're saying for people who are of gambling age. oh yeah if you're right. if you're over the legal age and like your friend is playing a game that you don't want to play but you want to like sit and watch them play instead of like stand over their shoulder and encourage them as long as the table's half empty and no one's using the seat i don't think you're going to get yelled at for it um, i can agree with that but if you are underage you are most likely not allowed to stop walking definitely. in a casino without getting so asked if you're to traveling leave. with kids you probably want to like specifically find out in advance like hey if my six-year-old's with me is that a problem and find that out ahead of time right um and also uh 21 is the legal gambling age in nevada it is state to state and sometimes there are two different age limits sometimes it's in a casino, it's one thing. If there's, like, gambling going on in a place that's not a casino, it's a different age, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So just do a little research before you go, if you are under 21 but over 18, to find out if where you're going will allow you to gamble. Um, so this is uh, – we'll get to talking about dealers a lot more in the second half, but um, Covey asked, is it rude to leave when dealers are switched? 
And so that happens, like, just like in any job, people go on break or they, you know, they work a certain amount of time. And to make sure that everyone stays sharp and observant, they're cycled out. And then someone will step in, cover for them so they can go on break and kind of recharge and then come back. Um, I have been at many a blackjack table where I have seen, you know, whether it's superstitious or just you're subconsciously reading body language or whatever, um, or it's just like, oh, that was the time for it to break. Um, you go from like winning every hand, they switch the dealer and I can't catch a break. Or more likely, you had a really good rapport with a super fun, positive dealer. They bring in a replacement who's really bland and boring and you're just not having fun anymore. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to be like, yep, and leave the table? As long as it's not in the middle of gameplay. Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing applies. We had a question. um, What do you do? Um, Chelsea asked, how do you handle someone who's drunk and basically keeps playing badly in blackjack when they shouldn't be? And I think to both of those things, the answer is, it's your money. Yeah, leave the table. Yeah, like, no one's going to be like, I can't believe they left. Like, it's your money. If you don't want to sit at that table, get up and move to a different table. And hopefully in the case of of a um, gambling companion who is drunk, uh, the dealer has also clued into that and they have called a pit boss to probably remove them because the casino, although the casino is probably going to win most of your money, at this point in, in casino... Um, relations it's more about having getting people to have fun and a good time while they're there so that you want to come back and give more money to the casino so if people aren't having a good time they're very interested in removing whatever is keeping them from having a good time i mean it's an excellent point kind of overall which is i i am a person who like in life can be very intimidated when i am faced with like a circumstance in which I don't know the procedure mm-hmm. where it's like, Oh, I don't know the steps. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of looking stupid. I'm afraid of like getting it wrong and ruining it for everybody. I think that's a very common anxiety. I think so too. And I think casinos can seem like a real hive of that because like every individual thing has its own procedure that you don't know. And, but the nice thing is, is it's not a test. There may be other your you know other gamblers there who are judging you, but like that's their deal. They're jerks. But the 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 dealers, the bankers, the casino itself is there to facilitate you having a good time. I've never in any gambling experience asked a dealer a question or asked a worker at a casino a question and been made to feel stupid. Um, that's just not what they're there for. So I think that. Um, anything where you're like, because you're going to see stuff where it's just like, oh, why did the dealer have to call someone over? Why wasn't I allowed to do that? Oh, uh, and if you get flustered, you're not going to have a good time, but they want you to have a good time. So don't get flustered. (laughs) Um, So we're going to go to break real quick. And when we come back, we'll talk about a little bit of rules and strategy to blackjack, craps and baccarat. But first, here's a word from another Max Fun show. I'm Barbara Gray. I'm Brandy Posey. And I'm Tess Barker. Together, we make up the Max Fun podcast, Lady to Lady. Each week, we welcome a kick-ass lady guest. We talk about our lives, our dreams, and the terrible decisions we've made that still haunt us. Mm-hmm. We've had on great comedians like Aisha Tyler and Margaret Tro, plus screenwriters, doctors, authors, you know, anyone who's willing to be as open as we are. It's all a lot of fun. That's us, Lady to Lady. Can you keep a secret? Neither. Neither. 
Okay, we're back. Um, I was inspired to want to talk specifically about these um, because we got some questions um, specifically about blackjack of people asking, like, one specifically asked, like, what do I do about people who want to tell me how to play the game when I just want to have fun? And so I wanted to break down, I think that there is a huge misconception about blackjack, and that is that everyone can grasp the basics very quickly, the, the concept of, like, as close to 21 without going over, without realizing that it is one of the most strategically difficult games that you can play at a casino. Most casino games, like when you talk about roulette, for example, roulette is, the strategy is all about in how you bet, but once they drop the ball into the spinning wheel, you don't have to make any decisions. Like, right. It's It seems more a game of luck than skill at that point. Exactly. That's why the betting is in is the strategy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, craps. Craps, the betting, is the strategy. The gameplay is easy. You throw dice. But in Blackjack, you're constantly... Every decision affects not only you, but this is the thing to keep in mind everyone else at the table because it's everybody playing off of the same deck. Now I've read that statistically and logically and mathematically people who get upset about like, you took my 10 or that was going to be my ACE, that kind of thing. It's like, it doesn't really track over time, but that's not going to stop people from feeling that way during the game. So there is light at the end of the tunnel when I get to Baccarat, trust me. <laughs> but so real quick, let us run through some of the basics and basic strategy of Blackjack. I'm going to start with Blackjack because it's the densest one, and then I'll work my way to the easiest one. So in Blackjack, number one, uh, the first decision you have to make is picking a table. Um, tables have minimum and maximum bets, and they vary. Um, and so if you are a starting player, you want to find the table with the lowest minimum bet. Um, usually the lowest you're going to find is $5. If it's like, say a Friday night, probably the lowest you're going to find is $10. Um, maybe even 20 if it's a super popular casino with a super popular blackjack floor. And we had a question about minimum bets, right? Where, uh, Kuvi asked any etiquette if table game minimum bets are too high for you. Yes. The etiquette is find a different table, find a different table or find a different casino. Because, like, it, you mentioned the Strip in Vegas. Find a casino off the Strip that's maybe a little less popular, and their minimum bets are probably going to be lower than, like, the hottest popularist nightclub on the Strip. Right. A minimum bet you can't change. If you go to that table, that's your minimum bet. Exactly. Um, and also, if you are a newer player, you might want to keep an eye out for a less populated table. Um, gameplay is probably going to be a little bit more relaxed. Um, and, you know, if you see somebody betting the table maximum at a minimum, you don't want to sit next to them. Like, because they're probably taking it way more seriously than you are going to. Um, sit as, as, uh, now, okay, this is a personal rule of thumb, if you don't know what you're doing. Sit as far left when facing the dealer as you can, because each player will go in turn from right to left. And at least then you can minimize the players feeling like you've taken their cards if you're the last one to go. Mm. Now, you can, in that scenario, be accused of taking a card that would have busted the dealer. But at least everybody's not like, yeah, but if I'd had that 10, you would have had that 8, and you would have had that 7. And it, yeah, it's a good thing to avoid. Um, so number two, 
everyone, including the dealer, gets two cards. Players uh, get both of their cards face up. Dealer gets one card face down. If you are dealt a blackjack, which is an ace and either a 10 or a face card, you automatically win. And if a dealer gets a blackjack, you automatically lose. Everyone does. If you both get it, it is called a push. And a push is anytime the dealer and the player tie, um, the, the player gets their bet back. Oh, so then nobody wins, but nobody loses. Yes. And on a blackjack, some tables will pay out three to one. So if you bet $10, you win 15 plus your original bet. Some are six to five. Most of the time when you sit down at a table, written across the table will be specific rules for that specific like table. Um, it'll actually be written on the felt tabletop. Um, you are trying to get to 21 or as close to 21 as you can without going over. If you go over, it is called busting or breaking. Um, an ace can count as a 1 or an 11, depending on your overall total in relation to busting. So if you have an ace and a 7, it's an 18 or an 8. And if you, say, then hit for some reason, and you got a 7, well, that would be a 25, and you'd bust, or a 15, and you're still in the game. So it counts as a 15. Like, you're not going to bust on an 11. Oh, Okay. Um, after the cards are dealt, each player goes in turn around the table um, and gets to act. So when it is your turn to act, it goes from the dealer's left to right. So like where the dealer is looking left to right. Each player gets four main actions. Now here is a very, very, very important thing for first time people at a casino. There are eyes in the skies, cameras everywhere. So when you are playing table games, and specifically blackjack here, there are hand motions you have to do to accompany your actions. So that way, if there's ever any dispute, they can look back at the cameras and tell what your intention was depending on your hand motion. So you can't just sit there and say, stay. You have to do the hand motion along with it. Have you ever encountered a situation personally where the dealer either like ignored you if you didn't do the hand motions or do they they, they will tell you they tell you They'll to do say, it like wave your hand and you'll do it and they're like okay and like they're very peppy and pleasant about it but here's <laughs> here's the actions and the hand motions so if you stay or stand whatever you want to call it you wave your hand flat left to right over the table don't reach out wheel far and you don't most places i read described it as waving your hand without moving your arm right okay and that's like stop 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 um and that means you get no more cards dealt. Your turn is over. You can hit. Um, and if you hit, you tap the table. You know, like tap, tap, tap. Well, similar to what you would do in poker, right? Yeah. When you would knock I, on the table. Yes. So you tap the table. And that means one more card is dealt to you. Um, you can repeat that until you bust or you want to stay. So you can just keep getting cards until you bust or stay. Um, you can double down. Now, this is where we get away from the, like, simple stay or hit, right? Now, when you double down, you place an equal stack of chips beside your chips. Never, ever touch your chips once play, the bet that you've put out, once play is started. You can't take it back. You can't change it. Because to an eye in the sky, that might look like cheating. Exactly. But you can put a stack next to it to indicate you want to double down. And then you say... I'm going to double down. Now, what double down means is that you get one more card and only one more card, and then you're forced to stay. Now, this gives you the option to double 
your bet. And I'll talk more about that in a bit, but it basically makes sense. Like, say you have an 11. The most likely card you're going to get is a 10 or a face card that is worth 10. So you double down, right? Because then you get a 10, you get 21, you win. Um, so basically, for a double down, you are betting that you will win in the next card. Exactly. That statistically you are likely to win with one more card. Um, it is highly advised against to double down on anything over an 11. Because say you have 12, you could bust. Um, and in fact, if you double down on anything above a 12, you're likely to arouse suspicion or gain some attention from the security team because it might be an indication that you are counting cards and that you feel as though it is a safe deck to do that on. Okay, so it's so statistically unlikely that you would win if you double down on a 12, exactly. that everybody looks at you like, how does he know he's going to win? Exactly. Must be cheating. So either that, or they just assume you're an idiot or you're drunk and you have no idea what you're doing. One way or another, <laughs> you're probably going to, to attract some attention. Um, the fourth action you can take is called splitting. Um, once again, you put your stack, your next bet beside, and I should be clear on both of these, that you can double your bet on either one of these. You can't bet more or less than you bet before. So if your original bet was 10, your net, like you can't double down and put out 5 or split and put out 20. You can bet in you bet the same amount you bet the first time. Okay. Um and also um and this once again seemed to be a little bit of house rules, but you do the stack, you say split, and then you can also indicate by holding out both of your index fingers parallel to each other and pulling them apart like I'm splitting. But don't touch your cards. In a face-up where they're dealt to you face-up, never touch your cards. The dealer will split them for you. Um, and basically what a split does, you can only do it if your cards are of equal value. So you have two eights. You have two fours. Um, you can do it if you have two tens or a face card and a ten, whatever the equivalent of ten is. But I should be clear that it's highly advised against splitting face cards. Um, but you could only do it if you have identical values on the card. So what's the advantage to splitting? Basically, you get to play two hands. Um, the most advantageous example you can find is if you get two eights. You've got a 16, which is a hard hand to win with, but if you split the two eights, you now have an opportunity to build better hands off of both of them rather than making the decision if you want to hit or stay on a 16. Hmm. Um, but basically, it just gives you two options because then you get to play each hand individually with each one with an individual bet. So you could win on one hand and lose on the other and balance out. Okay. Um. As I said, it's a little bit, both doubling down and especially splitting is a little bit of more of an advanced move. Um, so it's not the first thing you want to do the first time you sit down at your first blackjack table. Um, important to note, as splitting goes, say you had two eights and you split them and the dealer dealt you another eight and another eight on each of those, you could split those again. Oh, wow. Yeah, so as long as you're dealt identical cards um, and... I read at one point that you can split up to four times. I imagine that that is, once again, a lot of, like, house rules. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all up to you because every time you do, you have to bet more. Right. So you need to make sure you have enough money to cover your split. Yeah. And that it's also worth it to you. Because if you want to play, you know, for a long time, maybe putting down four individual bets in one hand, 
isn't your idea of a good time. So that's your four basic actions. You can stay, you can hit, you can double down, or you can split. Um, general rule of thumb is to act on the assumption that the dealer, uh, the face down card the dealer has, or the whole card, is a 10, or a 10 equivalent. So if they're showing a 7, you assume they have a 17. If they're showing a 2, you assume they have a 12. Just to give you kind of a jumping off point of how to act. Um, once all players have resolved their turns, the dealer re reveals their whole card. If the dealer total is 16 or less, they must hit until their total is at least 17 or they bust. If their total is 17 or higher, they must stand. Um, and then another house rule that varies from casino to casino is in some circumstances, the dealer has to hit on a soft 17. In some, they can stay on a soft 17. Some, they have the option to do it. And a soft 17 just means they have an ace and a six. So it could be a seven. It could be a 17. Oh, okay. Well, but... Even so, they have rules about what they have to do. So it's not really their expertise that they're using. Yeah. They're using like almost a computer would, like a program. Yeah, they're just the dealer. They're not strategizing against you. They are not your enemy. I wrote this note down right here. Dealer isn't your enemy. To answer your question about tip and all the questions about tip, you should tip your dealer. Now, there's no real set structure to it. Um, but in general, a uh, good rule of thumb is like if you're at a five dollar minimum bet table, a dollar every so often isn't hurt. If you've just hit like a big win and you like doubled down and split and like won a hundred dollars on a five dollar minimum bet or whatever, however you're able to organize it, tip them a buck or two. Like it was a good win for everybody. Yay! Right, tip them a buck. You can also bet their tip. So, say you put $5 down, right? In front of your $5 chip, you put down a $1 chip, and that's their tip. And if you win, their tip doubles, or, you know, they win too, and then they get that money. Oh, okay. Um, so, it's kind of like putting the dealer on your team a little exactly, bit. Exactly. Because they are on your team. And it's just a good way to kind of build the relationship. Like, we're both in this together. Um, and also just makes it a little bit more interesting. And the dealer has a chance to win even more if they deal well to you. That's kind of the idea of it. So I'm going to so quickly, and I promise we'll get to the other two games. They're way easier. This is basic, 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 most basic strategy. Okay? Is it basic, though? The most basic. <laughs> if you are totaling 10 or lower, no matter what the dealer shows, you should hit. Because you've only got 10. You're never going to bust. Um, and you should hit. Because your your risk of losing for staying on, like, an 8 is so high that, like, it no one's ever going to judge you for hitting if you have a 10 or lower. Okay. If you are totaling 11, general rule of thumb is double down. Because no card is going to come that is going to bust you. Now, the two exceptions to that are if the dealer's showing a 10, and you assume they have a 10 underneath, they've got a 20, so it's not necessarily likely that you're going to beat them so the double down is a little bit more risky because you're doubling your chance of losing double the money mm -hmm. right um and simultaneously maybe you don't want to double down if they're like showing a six anyways but that's just rule of thumb no one's ever going to judge you for doubling down on an 11 that's kind of what i'm running through here no one's going to judge you for doing this action so it's generally accepted that this this is the way to play exactly if you are totaling 12 to 16 and the dealer shows a seven to ten you hit because you assume they've got a 10 underneath. If they've got a 17 and you've got a 12 and you stay, you're going to lose. Right. Um, if you are totaling 12 to 16 and the dealer shows a 2 to a 6, 
you stay. Even though your total seems low, if you assume they have a 12 to 16, they are statistically likely to draw a 10 and bust. And if they bust, you win. But if you bust and then they bust, you've still lost. Hmm. Right? So don't hit if you've got a 12 to 16 and they show a 2 to a 6. If you are totaling 17 to 20, stand. Um, Even if they're showing a 10 and you're like, but they might have a 10. Yeah, but you're going to bust. You just are. You stand. Um, And so, like, if you do those things, you're not going to catch shit. You're not going to catch flack from people at the table. Probably. But you probably will. Because in all of these things, I, I hope I've illustrated to you that Blackjack is actually a very complicated game. Right. It does seem that way. It seems yeah. like there's a lot more strategy than I ever thought. I guess I just thought that it's the luck of the draw and you kind of just have to use your maths so that you don't overdo it. Yeah. The important thing to keep in mind and kind of the, the takeaway as far as the other players at the table should be is um, you've got what's called the shoe. That's what the dealer is dealing out of. Um, and it can be... Three, four, five, six, two, whatever, combinations of decks. So you're not just playing with 52 cards. You're playing with a huge amount of cards. And everyone is playing off of the same deck of cards. So if you, say you're sitting and you've got a $5 bet out and you bet recklessly on like a 16, right? And you bust and you're like, whatever, ha, ha, ha. And you get a 10. The guy to your left has out a $500 bet and he's like a professional gambler, and he's got an 11, and he was going to double down, and you got the 10 that he would want to get 21, he's going to be upset at you because you took that 10 as far as he's concerned. Whether that's true or not mathematically, that's always going to be how it appears to that gentleman. Hmm. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, General rules, don't touch your cards. Don't touch your chips once the play starts. Um, Tip the dealer if you're doing well. One last thing, insurance is offered. And insurance is when the dealer is showing an ace. And basically, you're offered the chance to bet half your original bet. And if the dealer has a, a blackjack, you win your insurance bet, basically canceling out your original bet, which seems like a safe bet. But the odds are so st- statistically stacked in favor of the casino. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible bet, and you should never do it. Okay. So that's the very complicated game that is blackjack. Woo. So here's the light at the end of the tunnel. If you're sitting there going, yeah, but I want to play a card game and I just want to have fun. You want to play Baccarat. All right. It is, it is designed for you, my friend. It may seem complicated and difficult because James Bond plays it and there's a lot of French words with it and all that stuff. But trust me, it could not be simpler. Here's how it works. You sit down at the table. You have three betting options. You can either bet on the player bet on the banker, or bet on a tie. With me so far? I'm, I'm there. Great. How your hand value works is you add up the cards, and then whatever the right hand digit is, that's your total. So, let's say you have... So you just drop the 10s. Exactly. Okay. So if you had a 10 and a 3, your total's 13, your hand total is 3. Because you dropped the 10. Exactly. Um, the best score in the game is 9. You want a nine. It's like you're 21, right? Um, The hand that is closest to nine wins. So you're playing against the dealer. You're both dealt cards. 
and then you're trying to beat the dealer. You're dealt hands down, right? That's the whole thing. Um, well, so you can look at these, but there's a special rule, right? Just just one hand. Yes, you can only touch your cards with one hand. If they're dealt face down, you can touch them with one hand. If they're dealt face up, don't touch your cards. That's like rule of thumb, play that way. Um, so if you're playing at a place that deals your cards face up. Anyways, I made that clear. Um, occasionally, you will need a third card. Now, there's a whole complicated set of third card rules, but basic rundown, if you're the player, is that if you have... Uh, if your hand total is zero to five, you get a third card. If it's six to seven, you stand. And if it's in the eight or nine, it's called a natural, and you win unless the dealer also has an eight or nine, and you either tie or like they have a nine and you have an eight or whatever. But you don't have to decide any of this. And then there's a whole complicated set of rules for if the dealer gets the third card. You don't need to know any of it. All you have to decide in Baccarat is do you bet that the banker's going to win? Do you bet that the player's going to win? Do you bet it's a tie? How much do you bet? And then it's autopilot. So there's no hit or stand. Nope. If you get this card, the dealer will give you another card yep. type deal. Yep. Great. You just sit down and it goes. Um, the only thing to keep in mind is the tie option heavily, heavily, heavily favors the house to the like to the tune of 14%, which is huge, considering that the banker bet the house only has a 1.06% advantage. And for the player bet, um, the house only has a 1.24% advantage. And because the banker uh, bet doesn't favor the house as well, they'll keep 5% of your winnings. Oh. Yeah, so you have a better (laughs) chance of winning on the banker bet, but you don't win as much money. But only to the two, you lose like 5%. Okay, well. Um, So don't bet on the tie. Unless you're feeling loosey-goosey. <laughs> but if you just want to sit down and put down some money on a card game that is incredibly similar to Blackjack, but not have to worry about any strategy, you want to play Baccarat. Plus, you get to feel like James Bond. <laughs> Great. Um, so Give fi- me some lobster. Finally, let's talk about Craps. And Craps is one of my favorite casino games, and it can be incredibly intimidating. Especially when you look down at the table, and it seems like there's just a thousand different options for betting. But it's actually... Uh, a very simple game with some very complicated terminology. Well, my only frame of reference for craps is either like movies and TV and that um, Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls, yeah. yeah. It's guys and Dolls. Luck be a lady. Exactly. Um, here's what you need to know. You walk up to the table. First thing you want to do is you want to look at the marker. There's a plastic disc um, about the size of if like, you hold your thumb and four fingers together in a circle. Um, and it will either be flipped up to black or white. If it's black, then the point hasn't been set, which I will explain in a second, and you can join in the betting. If it's white, the point has been set, and you probably want to wait until the next time the point is cleared. So if it's white, that means the game is going and it's full, you can't join. Yeah, but it moves very quickly. Okay. So you just stand there for a minute until it's flipped back over to black, and then you can join in. Huh. Um, anyone who's seen gambling in movies, you get the shooter, right? Who gets the dice, blow on the dice, luck be a lady, right? Yeah, mama needs a new pair of shoes. You're actually handed five dice as the shooter, and you pick two. Oh, okay. And those are the two you use. Once again, to kind of balance out that you don't worry about, like, are these dice loaded? Are they trick dice? Right? So don't be confused if someone hands you five dice. Don't pick up all five of them and throw them. (laughs) It's not Yahtzee. You'll feel, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, the shooter must bet if they want to shoot. So, like, if you don't have money out, you don't get to shoot. It'll skip well, over you to the next sense. person. Yeah. Um, 
So here's the most basics, and it's really easy. So the preliminary roll, the first, the come out roll is what it's called, right? If you roll a 7 or an 11, you automatically win. Sweet. If you roll a 2, 3, or 12, you automatically lose. And then the dice move to the next person. If you roll a a 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, or 10, that is now the point. And once the point is set, like say you roll a 5, the point is now 5, you're trying to roll a 5 again before you roll a 7. If you roll a 7, you crap out. If you roll a 5, the point's cleared. And now you get to roll again. And you either hit a 7 or 11 or win. You hit a 2, a 3, or 12 or lose. Or you set a new point. Right? So I just Okay, reset. so if you're looking for a 5, but you throw an 8... Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens to you, the shooter. Okay. Um, so basically, it's just a cycle of rolling until you either crap out, set a point, clear a point, or crap out again. So like... Or it, win. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first line, the first bet, the easiest bet, is called the pass line bet. So you'll see a, a line that's literally labeled pass line or pass, right? And that's just a bet that says they will either roll a 7 or an 11, or they'll set the point. And you lose the pass line bet if they crap out with a 2, 3, or 12. Once the point is set... Now that pass line bet becomes a bet that they'll hit the point again, and you win if they hit the point again without crapping out. Now, the the pass line bet is kind of your basic bet. Um, The come line bet is very similar to the pass bet, but think of it more like you're betting the point will come again before they crap out. So you can only make a come line bet after the point is set. So, can everybody at the table make one of those bets? Oh, yes, they can. Okay, so this you're is the betting, beauty. Yeah, it's the beauty of craps. Everyone's playing all at once. And you're betting on the shooter. Exactly. Okay. The field bet, you're betting that a 2, 3, 4, 9, 10, 11, or 12 will come on the next roll. Okay, well, that's a lot of numbers. That it seems is a pretty lot of sound. Yeah, it's a great bet to do. I mean, it's, it's what a lot of, like, non-shooters will bet on because... It's any of those. So you're not specifically saying a three. It's a two, three, four, nine, ten, eleven, or twelve. And in fact, if it's a two or a twelve, you get double your money back. Sometimes even more, depending on the house rules. Oh, cool. Um, now the only way you lose that is if you, you know, hit a five or um, a, a seven. Seven. Yeah. seven. Um, but, yeah, so the field bet is a good way to go. Now, there's also on there the hard ways betting. Now, hard ways is that you're betting that, so, for example, a four and a four will come up. A two and a two will come up. Uh, you know, a five and a five. You're betting that a ten will be made because you get doubles. An eight will be made because you get doubles. A two will be made because you get doubles. Um, and then there's a whole different set of payouts depending on the statistics of that coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you lose if a seven is rolled or if a different combination of that number is rolled. So, for example, if you put it down on a four and a four to make eight and they roll a three and a five to make eight, you lose your hard ways bet. So that's a, a lot more of an odds bet. Yeah, that's that's kind of a bigger payout. But it's like you kind of have to know a little bit more about the statistics of it. The beauty of craps is you can put your money down on the pass line not do anything else and still get to participate in the whole thing. 
still get to cheer and woot exactly. and holler. That's why it's a great casino game because you it you can play on the same bet for however many rolls the person keeps going until they crap out and you lose your pass line bet. So as opposed to blackjack where you put your money down each hand, mm-hmm. they keep rolling until they crap out and that's the only way you're going to lose your money. And you can keep making money as long as they keep winning. Exactly. So it's a way more like time-consuming and overall profitable game than than um, than blackjack. Um, the last one I want to talk about, and this is the best bet in an entire casino you can make. It's called the pass line odds bet. So once the point is set, you can place a second bet behind your pass line bet. Um, and in many cases, it can be multiples of your original bet. So if your original bet was 10, you put down $100. And basically, you're betting that the point will come again, that you you know that they'll hit the point before crapping out. And so as long as the point is matched before 7 comes, you not only win, it pays out true odds. So, like, I, I'm trying to remember, it's something like there's 6 different combinations for a seven to come. And so if you put down a four, there's four combinations, one and three, two and, no, I guess it would be three, one and three, two and two, three and one. And so it's a two to one odds. And so you win back double your bet. And there's like zero house edge on the pass line odds bet. Because you're only betting on the shooter hitting the thing they want to hit anyway. Exactly. So, like, the house has no statistical advantage over you when you make the pass line odds bet. And that's, like, where the money comes from in craps. But all you need to know about craps, as daunting as it can seem and as confusing as it can seem, all you need to know is that you put some money down on the pass line. That's it. And, <laughs> and now you're playing. Some don'ts. Don't try to, in, in all of these games, in almost every table game, don't try to hand money directly to the dealer. You put the money down on the table. You move your hands away, the dealer picks it up. This is just a security thing that you're not handing anything directly to the dealer. So don't be weirded out if they won't take something from you. You got to put it on the table, then they change it out. Um, Don't pick up the dice with both hands, one in each. That is a big no-no. You'll have to put the hand, the dice down. They'll take the dice back, show them to a pit boss, then return them to you. Only- oh, because it probably looks like you might be able to switch the dice around. Exactly. You only want to pick them up one hand at a time. Um, don't take the dice away from the table. So the table has an edge to it, you know, like a raised edge for you to throw against. Don't move your hand past the plane of the edge of the table. Um, just so like you're not like slipping them anywhere, you're not dropping your hand below the edge of the table, anything like that. Keep your hand over the table. So in the movies, when you see someone shake their hand and draw it way back like they're like they're winding up for a pitch, probably not a good idea, right? Yeah, you'd probably get like a <laughs> from the dealer. Um, and finally, the pass line bet, once the point is established, you can't take back your pass line bet. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. Because you can't be like, well, now I'm worried he's throwing it. Like, no, you got to let it ride, as they That's say. That's where this comes from. Yeah. I well, always wanted to gambling know. in general. Like, in the roulette wiggle, like, you could win and then say, let it ride. Basically, you're not taking your bet back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, like, that's... It's so funny to me when people talk about, like, well, I just want to play blackjack, where it's like, 
yeah, that's a way less approachable game than you think. And actually, Baccarat and Craps are incredibly approachable simple games. Well, it seems like those Baccarat and, and Craps seem to be more like a game of luck. Yeah, I mean, they're a game of betting. That's, that's it. It's a game of betting. How you bet, where you bet, which bet you put it on, statistics... All that stuff. But there doesn't seem to be any kind of... there. I mean, as far as betting, there's a strategy. But as playing, it basically just happens. Yeah, you're betting on statistics at that point. As opposed to blackjack, where you have to strategize and you have to, like, play it. And it's like, okay, great. It's great. It's uh, Arguing that blackjack is a great game just for fun is the same as saying, you can just sit down at a poker table and win millions of dollars. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's really hard, actually. And and as much as I wish I could say, like, hey, it's your fun. Don't let someone else judge you for how you play it. Unfortunately, like, it's it they will because blackjack is an intensely strategic game and everyone's going to tell you how to do it if you seem like you don't know what you're doing. As opposed to Baccarat, where you just sit down and maybe figure out some, like, international espionage stuff, have <laughs> a, a, you know, a shaken, not stirred martini and just go to town. And some lobster in the and books. And some lobster. In the books, he eats a lot of lobster. A lot of lobster and coffee. <laughs> Dude must have been regular as all get out. Um, so, yeah. So, that's those are the three games. And eventually, when we do, like, our home um, gambling etiquette, we'll talk all about poker and that kind of thing. But hopefully, that gave everybody a good start. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, there are so many iPhone apps and smartphone apps where you can, like, play fake any game you choose like you can get a lot of practice in before ever setting foot in a casino. Right. I was very uh, intrigued to learn about the shoe being Mm -hmm. for the dealer. I always thought that, well, why doesn't everybody count cards? There's only 52 in a deck, but that's not how it works at all. Yeah. And they also never deal to the end of the shoe. They put in like a cutoff card. And when they hit that card, they reshuffle. So that way you like can never be like, Oh, that's the last card. And I know that they're, I, I've already seen all 16 kings and like. Right. So it, there's so many different things put in place to stop people from cheating at a casino. And every time someone comes up with a new way to cheat, they come up with a new way to stop them. Well, and card counting isn't exactly illegal, is it? Well, it's also not exactly counting. Right. It's a little bit of a misnomer. Real quick. Don't card count. Um, it's a jerk move. And it also, you may not be arrested, but you'll definitely be banned from a casino if you get caught. And most casinos are owned by, like, one person owns, like, ten of them. <laughs> yeah. Or they're all in contact with each other, and you end up getting banned from all the casinos in Vegas or something like that. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't do it. Go have fun. Just don't gamble too much and have fun. And if all else fails, one last thing. Do slots. They're super fun. <laughs> there's lights. There's sounds. You can play Sex in the City slots. It's great. Just do that. I feel like I've done slots a couple of times, and nowadays they're all video slots. Yeah, it's fun. Well, I guess they're... I always kind of... Oh, kinda, you don't trust it? I kind of just wanted to go... Where were we? We were in some... We were in Vegas. We were in Vegas, yeah. and We I, were in the Vegas airport. I wanted to do the thing where, like, you pull the lever and the things spin and, like, the lights and the sounds and the mechanics all click, and but they don't really do that anymore. Yeah, you got to search a lot harder to find those. So we're going long, so let's wrap this up. All right. That's it. Um, and we're going to have at least two more episodes about gambling. So if there's more questions you came up with, you should email us, schmannerscast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at 
Schmanners cast, or you can join the Schmanners Facebook group. You can find it on Facebook. Um, just search under the groups tab, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. And I'd like to uh, put that call back out for anyone in the Schmanners group. Feel free to offer your opinions on a lot of these posts. I've seen some really great stuff got brought up. Yeah. It's really awesome. I, I love I when love it, it acts like a forum. Yeah. I mean, it's the best way to do it. Um, go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. I want to highly recommend Still Buffering. Um, they've added Middle Sister Taylor. And let me just say, I am always a big proponent when a middle sibling is added <laughs> into a show. I'm a big fan. Um, I also want to thank everybody who supported me through the last two years, these trying times. I'm proud to announce that I have been verified on Twitter. The long national nightmare is over. Um, I am now a verified Twitter user with all the power and responsibility that that includes. And I want to thank everyone who's who's helped me reach this epic point in my it's life. It's been a rough road. We're popping the champagne tonight. It's very exciting. I want to thank everybody. Um, I also want to thank everybody who's gone onto iTunes and rated and reviewed and subscribed. And everybody who's suggested the show to a friend. Um, we're still continuing to grow. And that's all thanks to all of you. So thank you so very much. Join us again next week for another episode. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, manners, get it? Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.